LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, podcast friends. You know, on this podcast, we hope to equip our listeners with the best resources to help churches thrive. If you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue, let me encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions, total packages, so that you can launch strong, you can be reproducible right from the start, and you can thrive in your communities. For over 25 years, they have partnered with church planters and multi-site leaders, mastering creative, intelligent, effective, portable church solutions so you and your team stay focused on the things that matter, building disciples. See what this looks like by visiting portablechurch.com slash lifeway. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I'm Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer, who has just been awarded. We're just excited to announce. Sitting here on the table. We have the trophy, Worst Christian of 2019. It was an honor just to be nominated. I never dreamed in a million years I would win. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm 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 happy to be on the podcast with you. We're excited to be here with JD, and uh, we got a question today that I am particularly interested in hearing how you break this down because I think it's one of those questions that when Christians discuss it, it's kind of hard to figure out where should we land. So JD, can Christians? speak in tongues. Well, let me start with giving just a little bit of a lay of the land so we have the categories for knowing how various people answer this. There's generally generally four positions when it comes to spiritual gifts like tongues or prophecy, healing. One is what we call the cessationist. Um, and those are those kind of sign gifts. They basically cease. They cease with the apostles. On the other end of the spectrum, I would call it the Pentecostal position. And that is these gifts are in full normal operation. In fact, many Pentecostals not all of them, but many of them would teach that it's normative for every Christian. Every Christian should have some of these. And if you're not using them, there's something wrong with you. You need to fix it or you need to start faking it. The kid, and then there's charismatic, which is sort of a couple ticks back from that. And that is the, the idea that these gifts are in existence and they're part of the normal ministry operations of the church, but not everybody's going to have them. Then there's a fourth position that, that doesn't really have a name. In fact, maybe you can come up with a name. I was going to say, we here, should Matt. come up with one there today. This is it. But it believes that the gifts have not ceased but that most of the ways the gifts are being used today is not really biblical or, or, or helpful. Sometimes these people will look a little bit like they're cessationists. I'm not saying that's great, but um, they just don't think that the ways that the gifts are being used and pursued today, some of these gifts are really in line with what the New Testament says. Okay, so J.D., you gave us four options, and I feel like because you put the fourth one last, that probably means it's the one that you would go with. <laughs> that's, so That's straight out of, that's right. That's the, you know. It's the Greer position. Extreme, that's what we'll call it from now on. This extreme, and then... This is what I say unto you. Um, we say at the Summit Church we want to be, yes, in that fourth that fourth category. In fact, sometimes we'll joke that we're charismatics with a seatbelt. Um, let me just say right up front, and this might not be the most popular thing to, um, to say or to hear, but I really believe after years of study on this that there is a lack of hard and fast clarity in the Bible on it. And I, I think that's actually intentional. And by the way, I'm not the only person who thinks this. I think God wants us to be open to anything that he wants to do. And to not have a neat little box that we're like, you can only do this. But I think he leaves some very clear parameters so we'll know it's it's when it's him actually doing it. Okay, so so we're charismatic with a seatbelt is what you would say. So how do you, what's, what makes up the seatbelt, I guess? Yeah, yeah, so bottom line, I'm not a cessationist. I, I don't think there's any indication in the Bible that says, hey, these things are done. They're never going to happen again. 
In fact, one of my first guardrails comes out of 1 Corinthians 14, 39. We should not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, let me just say up front, I don't have a private prayer language. I don't think Paul encourages us toward one. Uh, I'll explain that in just a couple minutes. So I don't really encourage you know people to do that, but Paul stops short of forbidding it. And so if Paul says, don't forbid this, I don't think we should you know, feel like, well, I need to go farther than you did. In fact, I would say banning that gift goes against the entire spirit of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14, not to mention it's in direct defiance of verse 39. If Paul had wanted to outlaw it in the future, he, he could have done so. I don't think Matt, God is in heaven kind of wringing his hand saying, oh no, I wish I'd have been just a little bit more clear because they're totally wreaking havoc now. They're I, confused. I, I messed up. I messed I up. Have said I more. Yeah. He said what he wanted to say. And if you believe in the sufficiency of scripture, you should be okay with that. Which leads to the second thing. The primary purpose of tongues is to signify the spread of the gospel among non-Jewish people. Again, chapter 14 of, of Corinthians, Paul says that this sign, he quotes Isaiah, um, I'll speak to this people, this people being the Jews, with the tongues of, of foreign peoples. Um, the primary purpose of tongues, Paul never says that it's some kind of private prayer, some special intimate moment between me and God. In fact, if when people say that speaking in tongues makes me feel closer to God, I, I always want to say, what's wrong with the blood of Jesus? I feel like the blood of Jesus makes you fully close, and, and that's I'm not looking for a feeling. I'm looking for the finished work of Christ. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 22, that tongues are a sign for unbelievers, particularly unbelieving Jews. Here's the logic of the sign, right? For, for years, God only revealed himself in the Hebrew tongue. It was only for the Jewish people. Then, you know, it, it's, it's going back to a promise in Genesis 11, where Genesis 11 was where God scattered the nations and they spoke different languages. In Genesis 12, God said, one day I'm going to bring you back in one family. And, and Abraham, your family is going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Jesus comes, Acts 2. You've got the outpouring of the Spirit, and now you've got Jesus saying, go into the ends of the earth and preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so because the the Jews, he knows, are going to have a hard time understanding this, he sends in that first outpouring of the Spirit people who begin to speak with other tongues. And it's like this big demonstration that God is saying to the Jewish people, this gospel is no longer just for the Hebrew-speaking people, the Jews. It's for everybody. And Paul says that's the whole logic. That's why God gave the sign. That's honestly why I approach a lot of the, the reports of people speaking in tongues, honestly, with some suspicion. Because when they tell me that their private prayer time is filled with speaking in tongues, I always want to say, well, how many unbelieving Jews were present in your private prayer time and how many of them benefited from that sign? That was the purpose that Paul said God gave the gift for. Even in, in our worship gatherings every weekend, how many unbelieving Jews are, are hearing that sign and, and benefiting from it? Um, so I, I'm just taking, again, cue right out of 1 Corinthians 14. This is what it's for. I'm not forbidding it, but I'm saying this is the purpose it's for. Which leads me to the third guardrail. Seeking tongues is not a sign of spiritual maturity. In fact, a lot of people, when you hear them talk, it's like, oh, this is the deeper things of the Spirit. I'm so glad that this preacher led me to the deeper that that's just not true even if you were to accept that the gifts were in operation today there's a couple of things that paul says that should you know make you pause he never paul never one time tells us to seek that gift in fact you would just reading first corinthians 12 13 and 14 he seems to set up so many restrictions that only a supernatural work of god could actually pass through the restrictions so that would kind of maybe prevent people that are thinking through it in that lens of like well i've got to be able to do this or something's wrong with my relationship with god i'm not experiencing something with god and paul kind of speaks to that here and saying actually no this is not just a sign of maturity it's there's all these restrictions that kind yeah of- yeah it, 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 you know, it's like a sieve 
Hmm. It's like a sieve, and you know, only certain things can pass through the holes of the sieve. It's like he created the sieve and said, only a supernatural work of God can get through these these kind of holes. Paul never tells us to seek the gift. On the other hand, he repeatedly tells us to seek the gifts that do build up others. So he's like, he's like, hey, don't focus on this one over here. Speaking the word of God to each other, prophesying, that's what builds other people up. And so, um, you know, I, I find in it almost a discouragement from from pursuing that gift. Uh, and, and the fourth thing is what you just said, the fourth guardrail. Not all Christians are going to speak in tongues. Paul says that directly. There are some believers who say, hey, if you're really mature, this is the sign of maturity. And Paul said, that's just not true. Not everybody is going to have that gift even in a day when it was more fully in operation. Yeah, so basically, we want to follow what God says in the Bible, and, right. and so by doing to do that, we would say it's it's not done, or it'd be unfair to say there's nothing that tells us it's finished. Yes, in a way that we should forbid it. But we have to be careful to consider how does the Bible actually commend what us purpose to is think it given for, yes. and how are we supposed to that's to, great to pursue it. Would you kind of add anything else that maybe falls outside of that to well, close up? I, because I have so many Pentecostal friends, and because I've learned genuinely so much from them, there are a few things that my Pentecostal brothers and sisters do that I just want to end this kind of positively, almost in a way, thanking them for what they've added to the body of Christ. You know, one of the things that they possess that a lot of us in Baptist, Reformed circles, whatever, that we don't is that God, God is moving dynamically in his church. The Holy Spirit shows up 59 times in the book of Acts. In 36 of the 59, he is speaking. Now, I get I get that that some different things were happening in Acts. The apostles are writing the Bible. That's one. That's a huge difference. And I, so some things are going to be different. But, Matt, you just can't convince me that the only book that God gave us that has stories of people walking with the Spirit of God is going to be filled with a bunch of examples that have nothing to do with us and where we say, well, that has nothing to do with me anymore. Um, you know, John Newton, who not a Pentecostal, he wrote Amazing Grace, you know, was a Puritan. Uh, John Newton said, can that which was so essential for the success of the early church be not even necessary for us anymore. What's frustrating to me is that is that in Acts it rarely tells you how the Spirit of God speaks. And honestly, I think that ambiguity is intentional because God never wants us to equate what we think the Spirit might be leading us to do with the authority we give his word. You know, more havoc in the world has been re- following the words God just told me than probably any other phrase. And so when, we, when, we're, when we're feeling and sensing the dynamic movement of the spirit, there's supposed to be a humility that is submitted to each other and submitted to the word of God in that. But, but they've showed us that. They've showed us like, hey, if you're going to really be a New Testament church that is thriving and multiplying, it's going to be because you're le- being led by the spirit the same way that early church in Acts was. Pentecostals have showed me and, and charismatics that our worship services ought to be characterized by a lot more interaction with the spirit i love one definition that are that a real worship service is when the people of god the word of god and the spirit of god are all present uh, churches that are baptist and reformed they all about the word of god and the people of god but hey do we come with the expectation that the spirit is alive and moving dynamically in that in that gathering which is the last thing we should each come to church with something to offer because the spirit's in all of us paul says that it's not just a preacher and a worship director and a you know couple people that are praying that they're the only ones who have something to offer um, if you are a follower of Jesus, you bring the Spirit of God into the worship service, and there's something that you might need to add, whether it's a, in a one-on-one conversation or if, depending on how your church is set up, it could be in front of the whole congregation. In our church, because of some things, we have a, a lot of that dynamic interaction happens on the small group level, but the point is everybody has the Spirit and everybody has something to add, and that is something that, that the evangelical church at large needs to recover.
Well, JD, God just told me it's time to close up this podcast. So, uh, but if you're done listening to this podcast, you're still in the car, you still want to listen to something, or you just need another podcast to check out, we would recommend the Making Disciples podcast with Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain. It's part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family, and they cover all kinds of helpful topics about discipleship. I actually just went and visited Long Hollow and met with these guys with some of our church planners to talk about discipleship, and it was really helpful. So I know this podcast would be the same. Do they so, promote our podcast on theirs? I hope so. Okay. That's why I'm. I'm trying to, you know, make this a really good one so they give us some love on the other end. But they, they have a lot of great stuff to say. So just look up Making Disciples on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. And we're just so glad you were able to join us. Uh, if you want show notes or resources or anything more from Pastor JD, you can go to jdgreer.com. And you can follow JD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us on Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything.